6th, and it's also a time, as many saw last night, a time for celebration with uh, sparks and fireworks. But back in then, it was freedom to live apart from the authority that England had placed over this land. Freedom to become an independent nation. And today, we're still enjoying many of those freedoms. We are not living under the rule of another country. And we're blessed with many freedoms in this land. The First Amendment guarantees freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of petition, and freedom of assembly. So they have a number of freedoms that we all are enjoying. And that's some of the freedoms that we have because we live in this nation. But let's think about something more, some freedoms that are more important. That is the freedoms and the freedom that we can have that is provided by Jesus Christ. Uh, you don't have to turn there. To some, I'm going to read a few verses. Our text for this morning is in 2 Thessalonians 2, but a few verses before we get there, thinking about the freedoms that we have in Christ. Romans 8, 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. We talked this morning about separation. We are separate. We're in Christ. The verse says, Who walk not after the flesh, okay, but after the Spirit. Then it says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. Freedom that we have in Christ. Romans 6, 22 and 23, but now being made free from sin. Okay, then what happens? We become servants to God. You have fruit unto holiness, and to the end is what? Everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John 8, 31 and 32, Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Yes, so much. A lot of freedoms in this land, I understand, but we should be so thankful for the freedoms that we have in Christ. Free from the chains that Satan had us bound with, and we have freedom this morning, today, to do what? To live in victory. How? With Jesus Christ living within our hearts. So, yes, once a year we have all kinds of fireworks and, and so on and so forth, making a lot of noise. But we need to have the freedoms that we have in Christ, we need to remember to thank him for each and every day. He paid it all, all to him we owe. He came to this earth many years ago, died for our sins, rose on the third day, ascended to heaven to be with the Father. And we know what else? He's coming back to take a faithful home to be with him forever. That's a day that we are looking forward to, a day that is rapidly approaching, and I trust that we are ready. So, we may live in a free nation, and we're blessed with many freedoms we have in Christ, but we still have responsibilities on our part, do we not? We live in a free nation? Yes, taxes we pay. We live in, we have freedom in Christ, but that doesn't mean that we are free to live as the flesh desires. You could say, well, I'm free. I, no authority, no rule, don't tell me what to do, I'm free in Christ. We have responsibilities, that is to live godly lives, to live obedient to the word, and live lives that are pleasing in the sight of God. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 for a few verses this morning. Second Thessalonians 2, I'm going to read verses 13 to 17. The title of the message this morning is taken from verse 15, that is, Stand Fast and hold the traditions. The title, Stand Fast and Hold 
the traditions. So if you're, as you're turning there, we'll have three points for the message this morning. The first one is chosen and called. The second one is the title of the message, stand fast and hold the tradition, traditions. And the third one is the resources of salvation. Now this is the second book that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. Um, and here we find in this book he's addressing a primary concern of the church. And what happened was they thought they had missed the return of the Lord. Or they were confused about the second coming of Christ. And what happened was either one or two things. Either they had misinterpreted Paul's first letter to them. Or someone had written a letter and forged Paul's name, and they read that and thinking that was the truth. They had fallen victim to that. So the church here, if you can get back and picture them, they were, um, they were believing that Christ's return is about to take place. And because of that, they were neglecting their responsibilities and their work. They were just doing basically letting others take care of them and doing more nothing but waiting for the return of the Lord. And throughout the entire discussion, the implication is clear. The Lord has not returned, not yet. But when he does, many are going to suffer for their lack of faith in Jesus Christ. So having providing that, that clarification, we get to verse 13, and Paul kind of, he turns the discussion completely around. And starting here, he has, gives us what should have been great news for the Thessalonians. In uh, chapter 2, the first 12 verses, Paul gives a warning. There's going to be a time of deception, a time of falling away, uh, apostasy, and so on. Um, then in verse 12, he has some strong words for the unbelievers. Had they had pleasure in unrighteousness. But then he turns, in my Bible, I turn the page, to verse 13. And here he turns his attention to the believers. Now he's talking about their position in Christ. And also, the believers are reply. To our position. So we look at a few things here. Look, look carefully. We see what Christ has done for you and I. Then we see what we're going to do because of what he has done. Then we come back to verses 16 and 17 and more of our, what he is doing for us. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, beloved brother in the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our lord jesus christ therefore brethren stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught whether by word or our epistle now the lord jesus christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Point number one, chosen and called, taken from verses 13 and 14. So the, the doctrine of election was discussed earlier. If you page back to 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 4, Paul said this, knowing, beloved brethren, your election of God. A little bit later here in verse chapter, in uh, verse 13, he says, God hath from the beginning chosen you. 
So we see that this election was discussed earlier, and he adds here in verse 13 two important aspects for the believer. Number one, salvation in involves cleansing. We see there it's sanctification by the Spirit. Number two, salvation involves believing, belief of the truth. And Paul links these two aspects uh, of salvation together since both the sanctification process and believing are a natural outflow of salvation. So when a person is, it comes, is a believer, they are sanctified. And sanctification happens. A radical change is going to take place in our lives. And for many of us, that is happening today. We are being changed into new beings. And this profound change is something that cannot be hidden. So we cannot be uh, a Christian and continue on in our old ways and be a Christian and people are going to say, well, they became a Christian but nothing changed. No, back to Sunday school lesson. Separated. We are living a different lifestyle. And here we have uh, our the profound change cannot be hidden. Or, or the new life that we have and our entire lifestyle is going to be different. Sanctification is a process purified from past life to a life of holiness. And then also we see in verse 13 that believing is equally important. We don't decide on our own what we're going to believe or what we're not going to believe. We, we apply scripture to our hearts and to our lives and also the Christian tradition, which we're going to see here in verse 15 just shortly. There are two tools that the Holy Spirit uses to bring sanctification into reality. And if we ignore either one of these, we're going to miss, miss the vital aspect of Christian faith. But when we believe in God, we see here in verse 13, guess what happens? You're a chosen vessel. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. What happens? We deny ourselves along with our selfish desires. Notice I said, well, yes, we're free in Christ, but not free to live as we wish. We're going to deny ourselves. And what happens? Our entire focus is intent on following Christ. Our lives are going to take on a new meaning. And we see here salvation is given to us through sanctification and belief of the truth. Two key ingredients, sanctification and believing. The sanctification part is the work of the Holy Spirit. And we are responsible for believing the truth. Okay, what is truth? A vital question for uh, the world today. Many try to distort the truth, twist it in a way to make it say what they want it to say. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we need to diligently apply the word of God to what we see and what we hear today. There's so much untruth, half-truth, or all kinds of stuff out there, but what, what, we need to be careful. Take the Word of God and apply it to what we see and what we hear. Then we ask the question, does it line up and does it agree with the Word of God? Today, you cannot read the news and say, yep, that's the truth, because that's not the truth. I'm not saying it all. Oh, be careful here. I'm not saying it's nothing's the truth, but we need to be very careful. Does it line up and agree with the Word of God? Is it absolute truth when examined with Scripture? Be careful. John 17, 17 said, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Brothers and sisters, we are cleansed through the word of God. Yes, living in a day of deception, but we need to be diligent. We need to be careful. We need to cross-check what we hear with the word of God. Verse 13 alone should bring joy to our heart. Because why? You, we are special in God's eyes. 
Those who say yes to Jesus Christ and who live faithfully for him are promised eternal life. Chosen in verse 13, then we see we're called in verse 14. Whereunto he called you by our gospel. He gave us the gospel message, the means of calling mankind to salvation. The gospel message is a way of directing us to Christ. He has chosen you to salvation and made the gospel a means of carrying that eternal purpose into effect. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Again, the word of God is the key. So because we are called to the gospel, we could say why. The verse says, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ so that you and I may partake in the same glory as our Savior in heaven. The blessings are just poured out upon the faithful in in these verses here. Where are we at in our walk of life? Chosen and called, why? In order to obtain a share of the glorious inheritance. What's the Lord Jesus Christ going to grant to his faithful servants? It goes back to we need to be faithful. So, verses 13 and 14 in a nutshell. God has called you. God has chosen you to salvation. So we are sitting here this morning. We say, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. And then what are we going to do? What's our response? Verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the tradition. Jesus provided the salvation because of his love for you and I, because of his desire to reconnect with you and I, because of his desire to have an intimate relationship with his children, in love, he is reaching out to us to draw us to himself. And now verse 15, we see our reply to his invitation. Stand fast. To stand fast is to persevere, not to be wavered, not to give in. And we all know what it's like to hold on. Are we there this morning? Is this what we are doing? Speaking of traditions, sometimes... Many, many, many times traditions are spoken of in a negative sense. The word tradition means giving over by word of mouth or writing. So tradition in and of itself is not wrong. It's only wrong when it opposed to the word of God. We need to be careful with some of that. In the early church, good tradition was the principal means of Christian instruction. Things that were passed down, traditions that were established, Faith blocks, you could say. This is what we believe. That's passed on to the next generation. And it's good principle for Christian instructions. It refers to handing down from one person to another, handing down of knowledge, beliefs, and customs of the past. And yes, the word tradition receives a lot of bad noise because of some things that people believe. But what we need to see are traditions that are deeply rooted that become a rule of life. Uh, in the Keystone Messenger, Melvin Lehman, and I quote, he wrote a letter in there, and it's on the front page. Uh, we just got it just recently. And I quote from Melvin Lehman, speaking of traditions, few things, humanly speaking, have a more powerful effect on us. He says, we are all carried along in a gigantic river of tradition. Didn't look at it quite that way. It's what he's, he's right. Many times, traditions, tradition serves us well. But for the the congregation at Thessalonica, they were struggling in their belief about the return of the Lord. And this admonition to stand fast and hold to the traditions may well have been uh, the most important instruction found in this letter. They, they had been faithful, and then they started falling away. And Paul says, stand fast, hold to the traditions, go back to where you were, remember what you have been taught. 
And I asked this morning, do we value our Christian heritage? And I believe many of us do. Are we holding fast to the traditions that we were taught? Or are we clinging to vain traditions or, or customs? And you may have heard, and it might have even been mentioned across this pulpit already, but the story about the mother who always cut her ham in two pieces before she put it in the roaster to, to roast. And then one time, daughter comes along and says, Mom, why do you always cut the ham before you put it in the roaster? And she says, well, my mother always did that. So Grandma was asked, Grandma, why do you cut the ham? And Grandma's answer was, well, my mother always did that. So back to great-grandmother and said, Grandmother, why do you always cut the ham in half before you put it in the roaster? Well, she said, way back, the ham was too big to fit in the roaster. She had to cut it in half to put it in the roaster. And thus, some vain ham-cutting tradition was, was formed. And that's I trust not holding on to some empty traditions, but we remember the valuable lessons that we have learned, and we're passing them lessons on to our children today, children and or and grandchildren, where are we at? Are we diligently passing on the valuable things that we have been taught? And it has been said that the strength of the church is to hold on to, on to the traditions that it was taught. So the strength of the church is to hold on to some of those traditions. From little on up, we were taught black and white, right and wrong, good and bad, acceptable and unacceptable. And to get to this point in our lives and toss all that teach, past teaching out the window, what's going to happen is we're going to derail the church and cause it to go astray. But instead, we're going to take the Word of God and we're going to take it at, at face value and directly applying the principles today. And when we do that, it's of utmost value that we take the time and we do that because we're living in a time where many are walking away from the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, just a couple verses later, Paul says, says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, not after the tradition which he received of us. Is there importance of hanging on to what we have been taught? There is. Is it a detriment to our Christian life when we throw it out? There is. We need to be on our toes. We can read about our Anabaptist forefathers uh, in the martyr's mirror, they knew the value of holding fast to truth to the point that they, you know, they were willing to die for their faith. They refused to forsake their faith and renounce the Lord Jesus Christ. So this, my, this morning, can we take heart, stand fast, and be strong? 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. This is not just for the menace, for, for each one of us. Do we value our Christian heritage? I quote, and I don't remember who it was from, the moral fabric of our society is being stretched and challenged at a rate unheard of in the history of the world. And I think we're standing this morning at a time where we need to be extremely diligent, on our toes, and aware we're being stretched. We need to hold fast. We need to cling to the truth. We, church, we need to be certain about our beliefs. We need to know what we believe and why we believe the way we do. As the songwriter wrote, I know who I have believed and am persuaded he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And I trust that is our heart this morning. I know who I have believed. 
This morning we also sang, I'd rather have Jesus. And we, we, I think everyone here this morning, we were singing that unless you came after Sunday school, but it's that, your heart. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. We're getting places, folks. This is where we need to be. Is he of utmost value in your heart and in your life? Obeying verse 15 and holding on to what we have been taught, what it's going to do, it's going to help believers remain well-rooted in the ever-shifting moral landscape of this world. Why will be different if I do that? Yes, but different is good. Not always, but in this case it is. Your neighbor should see you as different. Your priorities are different. But that's what Christ has called us to be. I should keep track of who, where I get some of these quotes, but I like to, another one. Before people get frustrated with their own church tradition and go looking for another, they would do well to make sure they understand and live those traditions in a deeper fashion. Trusting the Spirit will lead them to depths of understanding which will nourish their souls in a way they have not yet imagined. Again, just promoting the importance of traditions. We can get frustrated quickly, myself included, at different things. Maybe we should just step back and look. Why, does, does, uh, why is that rule set in place? What happened way back that that rule was set in place? I'm just encouraged to cling to some of those things that we have been taught. We could ask a few more questions. Question, uh, what are we searching for in life? What is important to you? When we zero in on verse 15, what happens? A number of things happen. We place a high value on the gospel message. We will hunger and thirst after righteousness. Pleasing God will be our motivating, our motivating factor in life. Passing on the faith to our children will become a primary goal. Applying scripture to everyday living is a normal way of life. And we're going to be found watching the eastern sky wondering if the next cloud will be the one he's going to come back on. What is important to you and I? Some people... Uh, Hold on to material possession that has sentimental value. Maybe you know someone who does that. In selling buildings, I see all kinds of people, they put buildings up just to hang on to something that they like. And I see buildings full of hit and miss engines, tractors, cars. And a guy surprised me the other day. He took me in a shed to show me his old tractor, and it was stacked full of empty oil cans. And he says, yeah, he collects them. What? But to some of you younger ones, be careful. I'm going back to when the empty the oil cans were the metal oil cans. And he said, Yeah, that one's worth X amount, 350, 450, 425. And I'm like, wow. He's collecting empty oil cans. Some people hang on to material possession that has sentimental value, things that have meaning, things that have been the family for years, and not for sale regardless of price. And I'm not saying it's all wrong, but using this as an illustration, does your faith in God, the faith that was passed on to you from your parents and your grandparents, does it have value in your eyes? 
Is your faith something that's worth hanging on to? Or can it be bought with a price? And sometimes we get caught up in what I say the here and now, and we forget to focus on the end of the road that we're traveling on. But when we get to the end of our lives, it's then that we're going to be faced with the reality. And we're going to all, I trust, we'll all be there at the same place saying, you know what? Clinging to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ was worth it all. Above all else, stand fast and hold the tradition. Verses 13 and 14, we were called, we were chosen. Verse 15, we are going to stand fast. We are going to hold on. Verse 16 and 17, the, resource, the resources of salvation, and they're kind of like fivefold. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, which has loved us. And here we have the first one. A saved person receives the love of God and of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ and our Father God, Father God, which loved us. And maybe he just wrote that as a reminder or, or to drive a point home. But God loves us. And we're so thankful for that. Amen. Praise the Lord. The second one we have, the saved receives eternal consolation. Eternal consolation. This phrase means eternal encouragement, comfort, and strength. So if the price is too high, well, I'm sure, I trust it's not, but the price for verse 15 is high. But think about the reward that we see here in the next verse. God says, you stand fast and hold the traditions. I'm going to provide for you eternal encouragement, eternal strength. It's a consolation of strength that cannot be shaken by anything, not in, in uh, whether it is, regardless of what it is, not either now or in eternity. You know, you think of outward comforts. That's something that are, are common gifts. We're capable of giving someone something to add some extra comfort to their life. But that kind of comfort that we can give is not what Paul is referring to here. Because what I can give someone as a, uh, let's say, a comfortable blanket for the wintertime, what I can give them, that's, that doesn't continue be, does not continue beyond death. That begins in a time and ends in a time. But the everlasting consolation that we see here that Paul is writing about begins in time and abides to eternity. It's a comfort that man is unable to give. And the world is unable to give, but God is the only one who can give it, and he gives it to those he loves. What we see here is a consolation that is perpetual and unchanging behind the grave, beyond the grave. And God said, you stand fast, you hang on to the traditions, you be faithful. This is what you're, is, is coming for you. He's given us, uh, he loves us, given us everlasting consolation. The third one we see a person who is saved receives good hope, and good hope through grace. Now, what greater hope could the believer have than to live in, in the glory of the Lord forever and ever? And our hope is given through the grace of God and through his grace alone. You know, comfort is key. Comfort's important and valuable. And by the grace of God, we have the hope within and the expectation of abiding within and standing with Jesus in glory, as we see there in verse 14. It has been said, what you hope for 
is what you live for. What you hope for is what you live for. And we talked about our hope a little bit this morning in our Sunday school class as well. A lot of people don't have that, but we have that hope. So you're here this morning. We're worshiping the Lord this morning. And we all have, I trust, all that hope within. That yes, that today might be very warm and trials may come our way. But you know what? We have something within us. That this is not going to endure forever. We're going to, we have that hope within of someday meeting Jesus face to face. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. You know, if our hope of Christ would not be followed by the resurrection of the dead and the future glory, we have little to nothing to look forward to. But that's not the case. I trust we all have that thrill within of someday we're going to see Jesus face to face. And we are given that hope through grace. The fourth one is, the, uh, just taken from verse 17, the person who is saved receives comfort. Exhortation, encouragement, admonition. <coughs> Excuse me. When a believer comes to Christ for strength, Christ will comfort him and encourage him. Just think about knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ has the control of the future. Doesn't that kind of provide a comfort and a hope amid the challenges that we face in life? We have election coming up. Like, oh boy, who's that going to be? The Lord knows who it's going to be. Rest assured, He is in control. As Christians, we may not know the answer to every challenge. At least I don't. But a Christian knows where to turn to for the answer. Trials and difficulties are going to come. But we're not going to be overcome by them. Why? Because we're firmly rooted in our relationship with the Lord where comfort is found. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. And the fifth one is there, the person, a saved person is established in every good word and work. Established, to set fast in a certain direction, to confirm, steadfastly set or strengthen. There's one thing that men long for, and that is to be secure, strong, and firmly established in life. And God can, is able to fulfill this longing. God is able to establish and strengthen man to give him a strong life. You look back over these five verses and, and try to take, look at this scene through God's eyes, if that's even possible, and think of what God has provided for his children. And what I see is, is blessings beyond measure. And then think of the reason it, that he done that, and that is so that you and I would be steadfastly set on following him. God wants to see you established in the faith during your walk here on earth. God wants you to be here firmly rooted in him and, and growing in him so we can be prepared to stand before him unashamed on the day he calls us home. So what does this look like and how are we to get ready? I trust we are getting ready. How are we to continue? Every woman sews her very, very first dress. There was, you might think, well, no, I sewed a lot of them. Yeah, but there was a time you sewed your first. And every woman bakes her, her first loaf of bread. Every young man pounds his first nail and cuts his first board. And from that point, we, we move forward, you know, getting better and better every time. For the bread baker, basically it's using, for the most part, the same ingredients, but perfecting the finished product. 
in our spiritual lives, we prepare ourselves with the Word of God. There's, there was a first time that we read it. We read it one time, and then we read it over and over again. And what happens? We develop a deeper understanding of the Word. We take the truth that is found within, then we apply it to our lives. We allow the Holy Spirit to convict and direct. You know, it's a lifetime process, but our lives are cleansed, and perfection is our goal. The Word of God is the truth. It will cleanse us, but we need to take it, and we need to apply it. 1 Thessalonians 3, 13, to the end, he may establish your hearts. Listen carefully at the end of the verse. Unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. His desire is for you, for each one of us, that would be it would establish our hearts. How? That we could be unblameable. We know the definition. In holiness on the day that we meet our Lord. And it says in every good word and work. Question, are you rooted in the word of the Lord? Some trees have a, a shallow root system and are prone to blowing over in a strong wind. Other trees, they have a much larger root system and are very strong. And some, like the, the hickory and the white oak, they put down a tap root, which, a tap root, which goes deep into the ground. Uh, well established. How is it with our spiritual lives compared to the trees? Are we shallow or are we deeply rooted? When, when uh, you go to build a house, one of the first steps is digging down and pouring a concrete footer. And it's an important part of the structure. The footer is something very few people see, but it, the entire weight of the house rests on that footer. That needs to be firm and secure. When we moved to, to Grenada, one of the few first houses, the first house we lived in, uh, it was a, a block house, had some nasty cracks in the wall, and someone had said that the footer either is, is moving or something a little shaky there. So we were not disappointed we could move to another house. Kind of gives you a strange feeling living in a house that the walls are cracking. But comparing the footer of your home to your faith in Jesus Christ, are you secure in Christ? Are you well established. You may have heard someone say, if you feel far away from Christ, who moved? And we know that Christ is still there. Where are we at? Proverbs 28, 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. So I go back to verse 15. Stand fast. Hold the traditions. Let's not turn our way our ear from hearing the law. Rest assured, Jesus Christ is a firm and secure foundation, and we have nothing to fear when we are abiding in him. If we're feeling far away or further away, we need to check our current location and return to our Lord and Master and remembering that on Christ, the solid rock we're going to stand and all other ground is sinking sand. In conclusion, you have been chosen and called by God. God took care of that part. Our part, stand fast and hold the traditions. Hold on to the faith. The result, comforted hearts and strong in the faith. And the blessing, eternity and glory with our Lord 
Jesus Christ. I'm going to close with two verses from 2 Peter, 1 Peter 5, verses 10 and 11. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered for a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Think about that. That's his desire for us this morning. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Following the prayer, Nate, you can lead us in a song. And after the song, you consider yourself dismissed. Our Father in heaven, we just come before you this morning. And Lord, we are just a thankful people. So thankful for all you have done for us. And Lord, you have called and chosen us. And you've given us comforts and security. We just say thank you, Lord. And it's like the part of you, you establish us in the faith. Help us, O oh God, just to stand fast and hold on to the traditions that we have been taught. Let's not cast aside truth, but apply it to our hearts and our lives each and every day. Bless each one for coming out this morning. Be with us all as we depart. Give us safety as we travel. And give us a good week, God. Help us, Lord, to be faithful and letting our light shine for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Be strong in the Lord.